Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 13 in the Word of God. Jesus spoke a number of teachings and parables. And uh, we're going to look at the parable of the sower and the seed this morning in Matthew 13. I think some of the scripture reading will be on the, the uh, screen, but also I'll be referring to other verses in that chapter. So you might like to open your Bible and follow along. Before we begin, I would like to say thank you to those who have um, participated and par partnered with us in our ministry among the indigenous tribes this Thursday. I'll be leaving again for the Amazon, and I'll be taking a number of study Bibles uh, to the pastors and leaders of the churches, as well as a, a box of reading glasses, as well as a number of headlamps. And so when you give an Indian pastor a study Bible, and then you give him I take the box of glasses and we find the right strength for him so that he can read easily. And then being these villages have no electricity, I give him a headlamp, then he's ready to go. And so uh, thank you to all those who have given toward these projects and we'll be getting these things out. Actually, a week from tomorrow, I will be down in the lower part of Colombia and Peru on the Amazon River. So pray for these meetings that we'll be having as we continue to serve the Lord there. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 1, we read these words. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Now, we need to identify what day is this. If you go back to the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 12, we find that this was a Sabbath day in uh, verse 1. And Jesus, on this Sabbath day, healed a man with a crippled hand, which was anathema to the religious leaders to do something they called that work on the Sabbath day. And not only that, then he healed a demon-possessed man in verse 22 of chapter 12. So the Pharisees, to combat what Jesus was doing, said, oh, he's doing all these miracles and casting out the demons by the power of the devil, Beelzebub, in verse 24. So then Jesus warned them of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in verse 31. And then it goes on to say here now in chapter 13, on that same day, on that very day, Jesus went out of the house, which represents the house of Israel, and sat by the sea, which represents the Gentile multitudes. He's extending now his ministry, not only to Israel, but out to other people as well. And uh, the reason for this, uh, th this will be explained by using the parables, because we're going to read, first of all, this parable of the sower and the seed. And there's three important things here. We see the sower, we see the seed, and we see the soul. And uh, let's read verses uh, 3 and following, and then we'll make some comments about that. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus is starting to talk in mysteries, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And Paul, over in the book of Ephesians, talks about the mystery of the body of Christ. He, Jesus is, is explaining the church age in which we live, which started with Pentecost and will end with the rapture. He's explaining this church age and, and some of the characteristics of this church age. And we're going to look at four souls this morning, and, which represents response to the gospel. 
But uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians, you don't have to look up this verse, but in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not known to people in other generations, as it has been now revealed by the Holy Spirit to the prophets and apostles. You see, in the Old Testament, this was a, a mystery. It was hidden. They didn't understand this church age. This wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, it is revealed through uh, apostles such as the Apostle Paul. And of course, he is our greatest apostle for doctrine from his epistles from Romans on through the book of Philemon. And so it goes on to say this mystery is that the gospel, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now it's not only Israel from the Old Testament, but now it's the Gentiles, which are all of us who are non-Jewish. We are all one body. We are all one um, group of people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is preparing himself a church, uh, a bride, and he will come back and usher us into his kingdom one day uh, starting in the rapture. So this was a mystery that now is being revealed. Now, in verse 10, you'll notice that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why are you speaking in parables? Why are you telling these stories? Previous to this moment, you were speaking in clearer words. But now you're telling these, these stories that seem to be uh, riddles and, and puzzles, and, and we're not understanding it. And Jesus gives the answer, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And then he goes on to give the reason in verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And verse 15. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But then he looks at the disciples and he says in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, referring back to the Old Testament, desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So now he's saying there's a group of people that aren't listening. These religious leaders that are claiming that Jesus is doing his miracles and his power by the power of the devil, they're not listening. It reminds me of the story of Grandpa who went for Sunday dinner to his son and daughter-in-law's house. And after the big lunch, Grandpa said, you know, I think I'm going to go out and take a 20-minute walk before I take a nap. I'll be back in, in just a few minutes. Well, those 20 minutes turned into two hours. Finally, Grandpa showed up and, 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 and the son said, Dad, we were worried about you. You said you were going to be gone 20 minutes and, and it's two hours. Where were you? And he, the grandpa said, oh, I met an old friend and he wouldn't stop listening, you know. And uh, so that's what happens many times. Uh, we get into a conversation and the other person just won't stop listening. Or is it, I won't stop talking. Well, whatever. These people had stopped listening. They would not listen any longer to what Jesus would say. And so he was speaking in parables. But now he goes on to explain the parable in verse 18 and following. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles." 
Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so we come to the theme of the message this morning, sow the seed, preach the word. Um, Jason mentioned beforehand, are we buckets or channels, conduits? And I read this week a similar illustration, are we swamps or rivers? You know, a swamp is just stagnant water. It receives water, but it has no outlet, so it gets stagnated and stinks. But a river, it's constantly flowing. It's clear. It's fresh. It's, uh, it's full of fish. And, and, and so I ask us in a spiritual manner this morning, are we swamps just receiving but not giving out, or are we rivers allowing our lives to be channels? Hopefully we'll be channels and allow the Word of God to pass through us to others. Now notice these three important things in this parable. First of all, the sower. And of course, in, uh, in its essence, Jesus Christ is the, is the sower, but now he's placed upon us this responsibility. We are now sowers, uh, the sowers of the gospel, sowers of the seed. Then secondly, the seed is the word of God. There are two uh, parallel passages in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, and I will read a couple of verses from those as we go through this message. But uh, in Luke 8, 11, it tells us the seed is the word of God. It clarifies it. So it's good to go into these synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and read the parallel passages to get the full picture of what uh, Jesus is trying to teach. I challenge you this morning, build your life upon the word. Build your family upon the word. Build your ministry Preachers and teachers upon the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Jesus says in Mark 13, 31. You see, there's nothing wrong with a seed. We'll see in the third part concerning the souls that the, the, the word has to be applied to your life. It's the, the soul that does something with the seed. The seed is good. A skeptic came to a preacher one time and he says, Why is there still so much sin and crime and ungodliness in the world if the Bible can really change lives? You preach about it changing lives, but I see so much uh, sin and, and crime and, and so many bad things going on. What's happening? The preacher took the skeptic out to the street. He pointed out to several dirty little street kids and he, he pointed out to them and he said, You know, soap must be no good. If soap was really any good, those kids would be clean. But look at them, how dirty they are. So, obviously, soap is no good. The skeptic said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Soap is good. Soap will clean you, but it has to be applied. The, the preacher looked at him and he said, likewise with the Word of God. The Word of God is good. The gospel is good. It will change lives, but it must be applied. Amen? And so it must be applied to our lives. If you want the Word to change your life and heart, it must be applied. Now, Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Paul was committed to the gospel. Likewise, we should be committed to the gospel. That's the eternal message. And during the tribulation, it talks about an angel will come with the eternal gospel of, of God, and he'll give the world one last chance as he overflies the world. I think it's in Revelation 16, preaching the eternal gospel. Now, why should we be committed to the gospel? Well, number one, the Lord commanded it. In Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Secondly, the gospel is the only solution to man's sin problem. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul tells us. You see, the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the gospel. The gospel is the only solution to man's problem. Thirdly, the gospel produces a real change in people. It works. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It starts from the inside and works out. Not the opposite from the outside in. No, we change the heart. Or Jesus changed the heart through the gospel that we give to others. Fourthly, the gospel is free. It doesn't cost anything. Jesus paid it all. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's something free that we're offering to people. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. You receive it as a gift. And then the gospel is offered to all people. There are no exceptions. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Three weeks ago, before I came into the States, I was up on Cerro Asaird, a mountain outside of San Ramon, where Lynn and I live. And as I drove up this muddy road, I saw a young man standing out beside the road, his farm. This was only farms up in this area. And he was standing by himself, and I stopped, and I began to witness to him. I gave him a, a messenger, an audio Bible. I gave him a Gospel of John. I gave him some literature, and then I continued to witness to him. Now, I was sitting in my car, rolled down the window, because he had two mean dogs with him, and I wasn't about to get out. Uh, they looked like they wanted preacher for dinner that day. So anyway, I just stayed right inside and talked to him through the window. But uh, Gustavo was his name, 21 years old. He was the caretaker on this farm, lived alone. And uh, just every two or three weeks, he would go down to the village to buy supplies. But right there, God had brought him out to the road at that moment when I went by, and I led that young man to the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. That, that young man will be in heaven one day, and we'll rejoice as we walk the streets of gold together. He bowed his head right there and, and accepted Christ as his Savior. So the seed is the word. The gospel is the word. The seed is the gospel, and we need to sow the seed. Now let's look at the four souls where the seed was sown. You see, the four souls represent the heart of man and his response to the gospel. It's necessary to sow the seed everywhere because we don't know the heart of the listener. We don't know if it will be received or rejected. So we need to just sow it everywhere. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. I can remember Daddy saying many times, If you want to have a good harvest, you've got to sow a lot of seed. And uh, over the years, we've passed out hundreds or thousands, I would say, of tracts and Gospels of John, and then hundreds of the audio Bibles, the messengers, and other helps that we've given to people. But now, will all of it bear fruit? Well, perhaps not, as I wish, but God has promised in His Word that His Word will not return empty or void. And so I'm counting on a great harvest one day when we stand before the Lord. Many of the people that will be saved through what we've passed out and distributed will not be known until we stand before the Lord. And uh, then someday, uh, somebody's going to come up to me and say, you know, you gave me a gospel of John. And I'm going to say, okay, come on over here. I want you to meet some mile straight people. Because they gave these gospels of John. They gave these study Bibles. They gave these messengers so that you could be saved and we'll rejoice together in heaven. Now, there's three important truths from this parable we'll see this morning. First of all, don't be discouraged by difficulty. Not everyone is resistant to the gospel. You may be thinking, well, you know, if I go witness to so-and-so or, or give him a track, maybe he's going to make fun of me. Maybe he's going to reject me. Well, not everyone is resistant to the gospel. I'm always praying, Holy Spirit, please prepare the heart of the listener and the person that you put in my path. Help them to be ready to receive the word of God. And uh, many times they are. They're just like fruit ripe for the picking. Now, there are times when the person will turn away and say, no, I'm not interested. We'll move on to the next one. As Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next village. 
And uh, not literally, you don't have to do it right in front of him, you know, but you know what I'm saying. So don't be discouraged if um, you may be thinking, oh, this is difficult to do because not everyone is resistant to the gospel. Secondly, don't be misled by early successes because not everybody's going to pan out. I've witnessed to people, had some people to accept Christ right then, and I think, oh boy, this is a new disciple. It didn't last two weeks. Because some people make a false profession. It's just of the mouth and not of the heart. But then thirdly, only one of the four souls is a true believer. And when you find good soul, cultivate it. Work it. Fertilize it. Irrigate it. Pray over it. Jesus preached to multitudes. Remember the 5,000? Jesus ministered to individuals, just like I've mentioned in Matthew 12, healing a crippled man's hand, casting out demons of another one. So Jesus preached to multitudes, Jesus ministered to individuals, but Jesus poured himself into a few men. Those were the good soul, the disciples, and he poured himself into them. Notice, first of all, the stubborn heart, the stubborn heart. That's mentioned in verse 4 and verse 19 of Matthew uh, chapter 13. Verse 4 and 19, but I will also read from Luke 8, 12. It tells us, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil. Now, in Matthew, it says the birds. But see, we're talking about a a symbol here. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. This is the hard heart, the negligent heart, the indifferent heart. Sin has hardened this person's heart so that he says no to the gospel. No, I'm not interested. No, I don't want it. And it says this is a seed that fell by the wayside, the path. You see, the the farmland there in, in Palestine was divided up into plots of land according to owners. And between each plot, there was a pathway that was constantly walked. You didn't walk into the plowed field except just to sow. But you walked these paths. So that that earth became compacted. It became hard. And Jesus is saying some people's heart is like that hard soil where the soil cannot penet- or the seed cannot penetrate. And so the birds of the air come and they eat that seed. It's easy to see right there on that hard soil. And they light after the sower has passed and they, they eat that seed. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, But if our, if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost in whom the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of them who do not believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel of of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And you know, I've been in in a service where I've heard the word. I may have been a listener, not a preacher, but the listener. And I'm sitting there hearing the word of God preached by another man of God, and I know there are lost people in that service, and, and it's such a good message, I almost want to get saved again. And, and I'm thinking, how can they sit there and not respond? What's wrong? There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's their heart. It's a hardened heart. They've allowed sin to harden their heart. Uh, I can remember in Cayman Bragg, perhaps when Brother Al was there preaching one time or, or in some other meeting, Claiborne was a friend of mine, a couple of years older than me. He already had his driver's license. And uh, so um, he had this old car that he ran up and down the road with. And uh, he would come and stand outside the church. It's hot there, and the windows are open, the doors are open. And uh, a number of my friends would come that didn't attend the church, but they'd come after, uh, during the service and listen to the, to the preacher preaching. What else was there to do? There's no TV. There's nothing else to do on Kimmel Brack, so come to church. And so they were standing outside, and now there is. I mean, they've got everything there on Kimmel Brack, even Internet now. But back in those days, they didn't. And so Claiborne was standing outside, and, and after the service, I went outside. He was still there. 
And I, and I witnessed to him. I, I pled with him. I talked to him. I said, Claiborne, tonight is the, the night of your salvation. Why don't you come in and, and, and uh, let the preacher talk to you and, and, and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and, and come into your heart and save you. And he kind of gave me that quirky smile that he always had. And he said, mm, not tonight. I'll do it sometime. And he turned away. Just a few days later, he was running down the road. Perhaps he'd had a couple beers. I don't know. But he wrapped his car around a telephone pole. And it killed him immediately. As far as I know, Claiborne's in hell right now. I read this thought this week. Do it now. Sometimes later becomes never. Now. Sometimes later becomes never. If Claiborne never came to know Christ as his Savior, I would imagine he's thought again and again of that night, whether it was Brother Al preaching or some other preacher, he can remember me going out there and talking to him. And I'm sure he's saying right now, I wish I had accepted Christ as my Savior. When God speaks to your heart, don't be stubborn. Don't be that stubborn heart. Don't allow the devil to come and steal away the seed. Repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Don't waste the gift of eternal life. Remember, it's a gift. Don't waste it by not receiving it. Take it today. Receive it by faith. Then secondly, we see the shallow heart. The shallow heart in Matthew 13, verses 5 and 6, and then the interpretation in verses 20 and 21. But I'll read from Mark 4, a parallel passage, and it says in verse 16, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. This is the emotional heart, the shallow heart. The superficial heart, the insincere person. This person lives an up and down existence, governed by his or her emotions and feelings. This person makes a decision, not from the heart, just from the mouth. It's only skin deep. And then when trouble comes, they turn away. They turn away. I remember Max there in San Ramon. Soon after we started Calvary Baptist Church, and uh, Eric and Max came one night, and both of them accepted Christ as Savior. Eric continued on to grow in the Lord. Max, we thought, was a true Christian. But then when persecution came from his family, religious persecution, he turned away. And I lost contact with Max. He went off to another city to go to school, and I've never seen him since. I often think about him, pray for him. But the Bible tells us in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be become plain that it might become plain that not all are of us. You see, there's going to be some false professors in the church. There's a layer of rock underneath this soil. It's called stony soil, rocky soil. And there's no depth in this heart. The seed cannot penetrate deeply to stand the hot sun, to stand the strong winds. You know, those rocks in the life of this person could be bitterness, resentment. It could be carnal desire, temptation. It could be fear of ridicule or, or, or persecution. These rocks could be identified in, as different things in different people's lives. Not everybody has the same rocks in their lives. But it tells us this, this is shallow soil, the shallow heart, the rocky soil. And there's something there that prevents the, the seed from penetrating deeply and becoming rooted in order to produce fruit. I found that uh, religion persecutes the new Christian 
and the unbeliever as bad or worse than the unsaved world. There in Latin America, throughout Latin America, there are a number of um, housing developments. The government goes in and builds new houses. I call them crackerbox cracker houses because they're all about the same. Two bedroom, bath, little living room. Just, and they're just side by side. There'll be hundreds of them. And then new families will move into these houses. They are subsidized and they're able to get a loan and, and buy their first house. But we have great success in these housing developments because mama and daddy doesn't live on one side and grandma and grandpa don't live on the other. So there's not that family pressure. There's not that religious pressure. And these people are open. This is a new family. You come by and you give them a Bible. You give them a Gospel of John. You give them the, the plan of salvation. And not everyone receives, but so many of them have received Christ. And you can start a church right there and that one housing development for the glory of the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And so we've seen many people get saved in these housing developments because they aren't subject to that persecution that you might find in a small village. You go out into a village that has been there 50, 60, 100 years, and oh, there's a whole different scenario there. That pressure from the family, from the religious leader of that village, whether it be a priest or a shaman, whether it's... Uh, some other type cult that might be there in that village, oh, they create a great pressure. And so it's harder to reach people in those types of situations. But then we move on from the stubborn heart and the shallow heart to the strangled heart. The strangled heart. In verses 7 and 22, it talks about the soul that's choked by the thorns, by the weeds. You know, a good plant has to be cultivated. It has to be watered, fertilized, and cared for. But weeds will simply grow out of neglect. You don't do anything. You leave your garden spot from one year to the next. You go out there and look at it. What's it covered in? Okra, tomatoes, beans. No, weeds. There they are. You didn't plant them. They grew by themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There are some people that are, have a strangled heart because they allow the weeds of this world to strangle out the seed. In Mark 4, 18, it tells us, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear, hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. There's no fruit in the stubborn heart, no fruit in the shallow heart, no fruit in the strangled heart. The word is crowded out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world. You know, do nothing and weeds will grow. Someone has said, what do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. But you have to do something to go to heaven. You have to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We're all born sinners. We're all children of Adam. So weeds, weeds will grow simply through neglect. I've noticed down through my ministry and, and Lynn and I are celebrating 40 years in about three more weeks of, of service overseas, and it's been a great ride. It's been some ups and downs, but praise the Lord, we've seen great victories. But materialism is perhaps one of the greatest enemies of Christianity today. The desire to get more and more at any cost. I've got to have this, I've got to have that, I've got to have the other. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
Money is a wonderful tool, but it's a terrible master. The world and everything in it is temporal. You know, there's two things on this earth that we'll see in heaven that are eternal. That's the Word of God and the souls of people. Everything else is temporal. We enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with having it, but it'll be over with. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 17. So I challenge you this morning, seek God's will for your life. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We need to remember this morning that God is the owner of everything that we have. We are simply stewards. We're managers. God has placed a certain amount of things, of possessions in our hands, and we're to manage it, like the parable of the talents. And one day we will stand before the Lord and give an account of how we've managed it. So I challenge you to invest a good portion of what God places into your hands into things of eternal value, not just temporal things. Don't spend everything you have on what's just temporal. Be planning to receive reward in heaven when we stand before the Lord. I remember Jose Miguel coming to me, and, and I'll be down on the Amazon River next week. <clears throat> and uh, he came to me one day as I was washing clothes, and I think I'd already taken a bath. And, and the Indians will walk up to you, and they'll just stand there and look at you like you're the strangest creature they've ever seen. Well, I'm whiter than all of them, you know, and there I am in my swimming trunks and taking a bath soaked up and washing my clothes. So anyway, he comes up, and he just stands there a while and looks at me, and then he says, Pastor, I have been saved. Good, Jose Miguel. He was attending the seminar. Pastor, I have been baptized. Good, Jose Miguel. I'm glad of that. But pastor, I love the world. I want things from the world. I started kind of figuring where this is going, and I said, well, what is it in the world that draws you, that allures you? He says, money. And I get my money from the coca trade. I have a coca farm. And, of course, many of them have abandoned planting plantain and, and rice and beans and these other honest crops to plant coca leaves because it's faster money. So I said, Jose Miguel, you know, I'm going to leave in a week, and I cannot walk with you hand in hand. But Jesus, if you're saved, Jesus is with you all the time, and he will help you make the right decision. You're going to have to make this decision, whether you want to sow coca and reap a quick harvest and get that boat motor and that TV and that all those things you want, or whether you want to plant honest crops, and the, the, the earnings won't be so great, but you'll have blessings from the Lord. You choose. And we prayed, and he went on his way. I went on my way. Three or four days later, before the seminar ended, he came back to me, and he says, Pastor, I've made my decision. I'm leaving the coca trade. I'm going to serve Jesus with my life and ask him to bless my farm. Praise the Lord for that. And so, you see, don't allow the world to strangle out the seed of your heart. Now, fourthly, the spiritual heart. In Matthew 13, verses 8 and 23, we see the spiritual heart. And Luke 8, 15 tells us, The good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. This is the receptive heart, the decided heart, the dedicated heart, the determined person. I am going to serve Christ with my life. This person hears the word, receives by faith its message, and it produces fruit. You see, every true believer produces some amount of fruit. It'll be different in each one. Some produced 100-fold, 30-fold, 60-fold. But every true believer produces fruit. And actually, this is the only one that produced fruit. The other, th other three didn't. 
So obviously they were false professors. Or, of course, the first one was an out-and-out rejecter of the gospel. Now, our ability to produce fruit comes from a living relationship with the Lord Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. A sawed-off branch cannot produce fruit. Neither can a person produce any fruit if separated from Christ. Jesus tells us, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And you know, this fruit that we produce, we're not saved by works, but we are saved in order to produce good works. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's already got your life planned out. Are you obedient? Are you producing fruit? Are you this spiritual heart that's receiving the word and allowing it to germinate and to produce a good plant that will produce many seeds and will continue to multiply? I remember Glenda... As a college-age girl there in San Ramon, she came to church a couple of times. She was dating one of the boys of the church. And I don't recommend a saved person to recommend or to date an unsaved person, but in this case, they were. And um, Eddie was bringing his girlfriend, uh, Glenda, to church. And at first, she was hardened. She had already been hardened by the teaching and the, the secular university, and she wanted nothing to do with God and didn't believe the Bible. It was just a, a bunch of fables and, and all of that. And, and she would get angry. I could see her as I preached the word. She would be angry. The anger was showing in her face. But God was breaking down that resistance in her heart. And she met with me a couple of times. And she was just right in my face arguing with me. But God continued to work in her heart. And one night after I preached, I saw Glenda get up out of her chair. And she walked forward. And she was weeping. And Lynn, my wife, took her over to one of the Sunday school rooms and led her to Christ. Later, Eddie and Glenda got married. They have two boys. They're serving Christ. The, the seed produced fruit in her life. Praise the Lord. And he wants to do the same. Jesus wants to do the same in your life. So you say, okay, Pastor, what, or Brother Russ, what is the fruit? What is the fruit that we should uh, produce? Well, of course, we would say a love for God, a love for His Word, a separation from sin, a dedication of our lives to God. But also, Paul talks about the fruit of winning souls to Christ in Romans 1.13. He talks about the fruit of a holy life in Romans 6.20. He talks about the fruit of giving for the needs of others in uh, Romans 15. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And then he talks about the fruit of good works in Colossians 1.10. There's many things that we can do to produce fruit for the honor and glory of the Lord. A couple of examples. Service to the saints. We can help others. The Bible tells us God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now use your gift well to serve one another. I remember um, in Costa Rica there, one of the widow ladies of our church had just built an addition onto her house. She had a big pile of dirt out in her, big, in her, in her front yard. And she had no one to move it. So I took my truck and both of my boys and we took our shovels and we went over to her house, backed up to the pile of dirt, loaded it on my truck and hauled it off for it. We served that saint. This is fruit. You may say, Brother Russ, you're going to get reward in heaven for hauling dirt. Yes, sir. I sure am. And then uh, giving thanks and praise to God. That's another fruit. What's coming out of your mouth? Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. 
giving thanks to his name. A little neighbor boy came over to the preacher's house. This might have been Brother Al, I don't know. And he was watching as the preacher built a piece of furniture. He was there in the garage working, and, and the preacher asked him, Are you trying to learn something about carpentry? And the little boy said, No, sir, I'm just waiting to see what the preacher says when he hits his thumb. <laughs> so I ask you, you know, what's coming out of your mouth? The fruit of your lips. This is a fruit that we can give to the Lord. Being faithful in whatever the Lord gives us to do. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A national pastor that I worked with some years ago told me this story later after all this happened. And he said, you know, Brother Russ, when you were building the church and we were there helping you, as soon as you would leave to go to the builder's supply to get more material, and uh, uh, we would sit down. We'd quit working. We'd just sit down. When you were there, you were a slave driver. I mean, we couldn't sit down. But when you left, we sat down and we just talked and did whatever we wanted to do, drank water. And, and, and Lathan, my oldest son, he was a little guy then, and he was always on him. You better get to work. My daddy's coming back. And uh, he said, we would make fun of Lathan. We'd just laugh at him, and he'd get so mad at us. But he said, as soon as we heard your truck coming, we jumped up and went back to work. And uh, you know something? One of these days, Gabriel's going to toot his horn, and Jesus is going to come, and you're not going to have time to jump up and work then. You better do it now. You better do it now. Now is the day of salvation, and now is the day to work for the Lord. Amen? Because when the rapture comes, there will be no time to do any more work. And remember, you'll reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7. Both positively and negatively. If you sow good things, you're going to reap good. If you sow bad, you'll reap bad. Someone has said, living a carnal life, a sinful life, and expecting to have reward in heaven is like planting cockleburs and expecting roses. It ain't going to happen. No, it doesn't work that way. We reap what we sow. And as we stand before the Lord one day, every believer will give an account of himself to the Lord. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in our earthly body. You know, that day is going to be a day of revelation because our work will be re revealed. And then it will be a day of reward for some because they've served Christ. But then it will be a day of remorse for others because they haven't served Christ. How will it be for you on that day? Well, every one of us is represented by one of these four hearts. I ask you now, are you the stubborn, hard heart that's resisting the word? Are you the shallow, insincere heart that makes an empty profession but produces no fruit and quits in a time of trouble? Are you the strangled heart, distracted by the things of this world and allowing the world to choke out any work that you could do for the Lord? Or are you the spiritual, receptive heart that receives the seed and produces fruit for the good of God's kingdom and for the glory of God.